You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Just gone 8.05 Central African time. Let's welcome a Pipes and Sagey Chazumma with a hearty Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. Medical Files are keeping you company this evening. And Alhamdulillah, myself, Chef Azamat Khan, hosting the show with Lukalo on the board. And Alhamdulillah, this evening we have a very prominent pediatrician, Dr. Ridwan Umar. And Alhamdulillah, the topic that we're going to discuss this evening is how emotional stress and uh, starvation impact on uh, children. And as I said, our pediatrician is uh, very highly respected and he's uh, one of them that is sought after by many. And, you know, when you look at uh, hunger, its impact on children's health and uh, the mental health and the stress and so forth. And hunger with its, uh, you know, adverse consequences for children continues to be, an, uh, a, you know, important, even a national problem in South Africa. But it is a world problem and, you know, uh, all studies have shown that hunger, with its uh, adverse consequences, uh, continues to uh, be an important, uh, you know, issue throughout the world. And previous studies uh, document uh, that uh, this uh, type of uh, situation affects children, uh, you know, of all races, of all countries. And uh, it is sad indeed. I mean, you look at what's happening in uh, Scotland now. Uh, just the other day, so a picture of a kid, because I believe they're getting meals there every year. Uh, uh, third day or one meal a day or something like that and a kid there she had a like a you know a towel like a face cloth you know she was squeezing the water into her mouth and it was sad indeed and uh, to bring up all these issues and to talk about uh, its consequences its, its impact and how emotional stress and starvation impact on children as i said our doctor is on standby let's welcome uh, dr uh, Ridwan Umar with a hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell us, Doctor, how are you doing this fine, uh, beautiful evening? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Brother Shafat. Alhamdulillah, I am well, and I pray that you and all our listeners are also very well. Uh, absolutely, Doctor, doing well indeed. And especially, you know, there's so many scenarios. And look at the, uh, I think on in our previous programs, we spoke about how teenagers are getting pregnant now. And, you know, that masoom, that baby that is born, you know, has no, doesn't know who the father is, uh, those conditions that they're growing up in. And, you know, they, they, they say this country is in the brink of starvation. Nearly more than half of its population goes to sleep without food and so forth. You know, paint this picture for us, our doctor. You know, what's happening? And those kids that are coming into this world, it's not only our national problem. It is uh, an international problem, uh, Dr. Ridwan Umar. Rahim. I begin by praising Almighty Allah and I ask him to bless each and every one of us. Send abundant salam on our beloved Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yeah, so our topic for today was based on mental health and malnutrition in children and its effects. And I think it's a very interesting topic and something that we all should have some understanding and some knowledge of. So, you know, I would like to just start off by giving some simple background into how common mental health problems are in children. And if we look at um, recent studies, you know, it shows almost 20% of the children in South Africa have some form of a mental disorder. So that's two out of every 10 kids 
in our country who will experience some form of psychiatric illness, whether it's um, emotional disorder and anxiety disorder, uh, disruptive behavior disorder, uh, conduct disorder, uh, autism and attention deficit disorder. So all these are different types of psychiatric disorders, even mood disorders, depress- depression. So it's, it's really very common. It's often underlooked at, it's understated, it's even underestimated. And, you know, sometimes when, when we make a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder in children, the parents actually appear quite surprised that, uh, that that kind of a problem even exists in children or even depression in a young child, like in a six, seven-year-old child. You know, they're often alarmed and amazed that such a young child can have such forms of mental illness. And I think it's very important for us to be aware that these problems do exist in children and not only do they exist, but they're also very common. You know, doctor, you make a lot of sense. And uh, what I want to, uh, you know, it's a natural thing for a baby to be a bundle of joy, a bubbly bundle of joy. You know, the smile, that girl gurgle sound, and, you know, and you tickle the baby, the baby smiling, those bright eyes shining, shining with life. And, you know, dulling its life so quickly. I don't know, where, where do, you know, do, do we play the blame game? Uh, do we blame, uh, you know, some people say, oh, you know, everything is being orchestrated and it's uh, deliberately done and all this. Uh, how do we put back the joy into these kids, uh, doctor? Uh, that, that is our primary concern this evening. Yeah, so, you know, we've always spoken about, in our previous programs and our previous chats together, Brother Shafat, about the the joy that the birth of a newborn brings to the Firstly, to the mother, then the father, and then the grandparents, the extended family, the amount of joy that uh, the baby brings into the home, the blessings of Almighty Allah. I think that too, you know, we cannot, we cannot describe it enough because the feeling is just something you have to experience for yourself. And, you know, I often see the reactions on the faces of parents uh, as soon as the baby is delivered, in fact, even before they see the baby and they just hear the cry of the baby, that expression on their face is is priceless, you know. And that is from the blessing and mercy of Allah, that uh, just the cry of a newborn baby can bring such immense joy to the parents even before they have seen their baby. So it explains to us and it gives us some understanding that a child is such a great blessing and such a great and a priceless gift from Almighty Allah, something that we must be so grateful for and something that we must treasure because it is also an amanat to us from Allah. Irrespective of the condition of the child, you know, some babies are born healthy with no medical problems and some babies are born with problems. But I always tell the parents, whatever it is, it is a gift from Allah and we must treasure it and value this baby because, um, you know, whatever it is, Allah has blessed, blessed the parents with this bundle of joy. Absolutely, the bundle of joy comes through. The baby is there, and as I said, you know, not only the mother and father, but the entire family, they are all excited. And, uh, you know, Doctor, the, the point that I'm making is about even starvation. How does the starvation uh, you know, affect a child, perhaps looking at uh, its uh, development, uh, looking at some of the illnesses that can, uh, you know, impact on a baby that is uh, 
or a child that is, uh, you know, facing starvation. We know that anxiety is there, the stress is there, the parents are stressing. But that little baby, what is it feeling uh, during these times, uh, Doctor? Can, can you give us a graphic description? That's an excellent question and a very, very interesting topic, Brother Shafat. So what we're referring to is, you know, children suffering from malnutrition. And, you know, interestingly, if we look at our own country, South Africa, almost half of children under the age of five um, or would have some form of malnutrition or some form of... Um, uh, you know, problem related to malnutrition or food insecurity. So it's an extremely high number um, of children. And, you know, what's sad is that one in 10 South Africans go hungry every day, which means there is no food. So basically what that tells us is that our malnutrition levels are very, very high. And, you know, that results in, in a lot of problems in children, and we see it Often it's something that, you know, you walk into any pediatric ward in this country, especially I'm referring to state hospitals, and you would find children with severe malnutrition and all the problems associated with it. So, you know, when we think about malnutrition in children, we have to think about what are the acute or the short-term effects and then what are the long-term effects. So the short-term effects of malnutrition, firstly, these children are unhappy children. If you look at a child who's malnourished, who hasn't been given the proper food, who hasn't been getting enough protein, who hasn't been getting enough vitamins, so I'm putting it very, you know, simply for the, for the benefit of our listeners' understanding. Basically, a baby or a child who has been underfed or not fed properly, you know, you, you get the acute manifestations of it, which means this child will look unhappy. This child will look sick. When we look at a child, you know, irrespective of the age of the child, a child must be active, happy, and playful. You know, the child must be jumping all over the show. So often, you know, when I ask parents, how's the little one doing, whether it's a two-year-old or a three-year-old, you know, I expect to hear he's so naughty, you know, can't sit still. That tells me that that's a healthy little child. But with malnutrition, the first effects are these children become what we call apathetic, or they just become listless. They become weak. They appear tired. They have no energy. They don't play. They look sad and dull, you know. So those are the first signs that this child is actually... Uh, mal, mal, malnourished. And then it goes further, you know, depending on, on the duration or how long this problem is going on for, you know, this child can then develop complications as a result of the malnutrition. Now, what's important to remember about pediatrics uh, and the study of, of, of pediatric medicine versus adult medicine is children are growing people. Unlike you and I, Brother Shafat, we have reached our full growth potential years ago. In fact, our bodies are in a state of decline now. But children, on the other, on the other hand, are, are growing people. Their organs are developing. Their brain is developing. So any insult, any form of malnutrition to this developing body, the developing brain, the developing heart, the developing liver, the developing gut, will take, uh, you know, a knock 
from these from these um, nutritional insults. So I'll give you a simple example. If that brain is not getting the right food, then this brain is not going to reach its true potential. This child is going to have long-term effects of malnutrition, such as learning disorders in school, you know, other forms of disabilities, you know, problems with mathematics, problems with understanding concepts, problems with grasping concepts. So there's a whole range of different types of, of learning problems that this child will experience, reading problems, uh, understanding uh, concepts in the classroom. Uh, these children will have emotional disorders. They can have anxiety disorders. They can suffer from depression. They can suffer from temper tantrums. They can suffer from aggressive behavior. So these are all the mental effects of malnutrition. And, you know, we can go on and on. We can look at each organ and how this malnutrition will affect the mm. organ. You know, you can look at the heart. I mean, remember, the heart is a pump. It is a, a, a muscular organ that functions as a pump. And what malnutrition does is it weakens the muscles of the heart of that little child. So those children often go into heart failure as a result of malnutrition. If you look at the liver, that liver, you know, it's amazing that, you know, our liver has over 900 known functions, and only Almighty Allah knows how many more functions it might have that we as scientists still haven't discovered. But we know of over 900 functions that the liver has. So it's such an important organ in our human body. And when that liver doesn't get the correct nutrition and the rest of the body, then those liver functions start... Uh, declining and they don't the liver doesn't function properly so the liver has if it has so many functions i mean like i said there's over 900 known functions now imagine if one or two or three or, or, or 10 of those things don't function properly how many different organ systems get affected another very important thing that we see in children with malnutrition is immunodeficiencies the immune systems crash when they are immune deficient um, when they are malnourished i mean so they just, the whole immune system just collapses. So they become prone to infections. And the problem is, it's not just a mild or a minor cold that they're prone to, but I'm talking of severe infection, septicemia, life-threatening infection. So, you know, we can go on and on about the effects of malnutrition. Uh, it, it's actually quite sad when you look at these children, especially if you go to a government hospital. I mean, you know, in all the years that I worked in government hospitals, we used to see them every single day. And up to today, these children, even in a, in a middle-income country like South Africa, we still see so much of malnutrition and all the devastating consequences of malnutrition in children. Yeah, doctor, you really uh, graphic descriptions coming through this evening, and you know we we know we we know food plays such an important role. And what is the relationship between uh, you know the food and mood? I mean, uh, generally you find you know kids that are malnourished or do not get uh, the right food, and the mood is not right, and you know, and you compare to a child that Alhamdulillah that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has provided for that kid. You'll find them, they come in a good mood and they always, uh, you know, there's something more sprightly about them. Why is it that, uh, you know, food and mood go together or am I over-exaggerating it, uh, doctor? No, actually, I really like how you put it, food and mood. They actually rhyme very well and they go very well and they actually have a very great uh, meaning to each other. 
Um, in fact, it's, it's, it's so pertinent the way you've put it, Brother Shafar. I don't think I would have done such a good job. But food plays a very important role in, in, in the mood, whether you're a child or whether you're an adult. I mean, you know, uh, you know, there's an old saying, an angry man. What a hungry man is an angry man, isn't it? So <laughs> Absolutely. That, 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 sums yeah, well, it up. that sums it up. And the same thing applies to children, you know, if you want to put it... Uh, in, in, in the same context, a hungry child is a very unhappy child. So a child who isn't fed and a child who's not getting the right micronutrients. So in simple English, micronutrients are, are things like iron or zinc. You know, if the child doesn't get these things, then these, these micronutrient deficiencies affect their mood adversely. And it's a known fact. And one of the commonest micronutrient deficiencies that we see, not only in South Africa but around the world, is iron deficiency. So iron deficiency anemia is very, very common in our, in our population, even in adults for that matter. And in children, it causes, you know, what we call mental and motor apathy. In simple English, they are just very dull children. They just lack that, that vigor and they lack that, um, that, that joyfulness, that playfulness in them. They just become very listless and, and, and tired-looking children. So that's the relationship between food and mood, you know. So good food, which means food with good nutrients and with adequate nutrients, is, is actually food for that developing brain, and it's so important. Um, so that's just one example of the relationship between making sure that our kids get good food <clears throat> so that they, they're able to develop mentally well. Because, like I said earlier, these brains are developing, and any insult, especially in the first five years of life, that brain is a growing and a developing brain, and it's very sensitive to any insult, whether it's a nutritional insult, whether it's an infection like a meningitis, all those types of insults on the developing brain can have long-term and lifelong consequences. So that child can suffer from learning problems, that child can suffer from depression. As the children reach adolescent age, they are prone to, you know, other types of problems like, uh, you know, risk-taking behavior, suicidal tendencies, so they can... They can have even problems as, as adults when they, when they grow even older. They can have, uh, you know, attention, concentration problems, focusing problems. That in turn affects their education and that affects their entire future and their whole life. So good food is very important. And also what we find, and there are studies to show that, is that, you know, good food and certain types of food have a mood-elevating effect. And I'll give you a simple example, chocolate for that matter. I'm not promoting chocolates in any way because I always tell the parents don't give the children too many sweets. But chocolates have what we call a serotonin-like effect since you brought up the concept food and mood, which I really like. So serotonin is one of the chemicals in our brain which, which makes you happy, basically, in simple, simple terms. Now, what chocolate does is it has that serotonin-like effect. So when you eat chocolate, it, it increases serotonin levels in the brain, and it makes you happy. So there's, there's a chemical reaction that food causes in the body that can actually elevate mood, you know. And that's why some people love chocolate so much, because it actually makes you feel good. So for those chocolate lovers out there, at least now, 
We know why you enjoy your chocolate so much and why it makes you feel so good. Because it enhances serotonin levels in the brain. So, Brother Shafat, there's definitely a very strong relationship between food and mood. Well, Doc, I'm opening up my tupper where you can join me after the show, right? I've got the works here. I've got the murky bar. I've got the uh, raisins and nuts. I've got the whole nut. i got you that uh, crispy. Whatever you want. Hey, I tell yeah. you, I love my chocolate stock. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I'm also a big fan of chocolates, but I try not to eat too much of it because of my weight. <laughs> not You're not bad, huh? You 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 got your sun shoes on. I see you walking up and down. You the busiest guy in the uh, in the uh, visible hospital in in the pediatric uh, ward, uh, doctor. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Uh, no, he's he's modest. He's walking all the time. And uh, doctor, no, generally when you look at uh, stress causes uh, in in generally in 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 uh, in adults, uh, stress, uh, stress causes. Uh, some people to ignore their hunger cues and refrain from eating for long stretches. And for other people, doctors, stress turns into maybe emotional, uh, you know, uh, eaters who eat mindlessly and they munch. And some people overeat when they feel stressed and other people lose the track of their appetite. But do kids go through the same type of scenario? Do they, you know, do they get that same emotion as adults or doctor? So generally when children are stressed, whether they're anxious, whether they're depressed, or whether they're having a mood disorder, the commonest manifestation with regards to their appetite is, is a suppressed appetite. Like with adults, they would sometimes become prone to binge eating, like you mentioned correctly, you know. They would go and overeat. But with children, it tends to be the opposite. When they have anything that affects their mood, they 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 they, they would avoid food and stop eating. So what's important to note is the two main activities of children are play and, and, and eating, basically, to play and to eat. When any illness affects the child, whether it's a mental illness or a physical illness, what happens is they stop eating and they stop playing. And whenever that happens, we know that there's something wrong with this child. It's, it's actually very seldom that a child would actually do the opposite. I would, I, would, I would expect more in the adolescent age group, you know, the problems of binge eating as a reaction to any stress or anxiety uh, disorder uh, being, being the way that the child would react. But if we're talking of the younger children, the under 12-year-olds especially, if they have any emotional stress, from whatever reason, whether there's problems at school, whether there's bullying, whether there's problems at home, or whatever other issues they might be having, they would stop eating. And that's why parents are so concerned about their children's appetite all the time. And it's something I get asked every single day, doctor, why is my child not eating, you know? Why is my child not eating enough? So children would, would often eat less if there's anything that's bothering them, whether they're sick or whether they're having any any mental challenge at all. Now, Doctor, you know, uh, the, the Quran says that verily in honey uh, there is shifa, there is cure. And the Bible says, eat thou honey, my son. Now, I want to know, you know, the babies in, in yesteryear, they they'll cry and they make a big din. And what the parents used to do, take a uh, you know, jar of honey, open it, dip the dummy in and pop it into the baby's mouth. Hey, the kids stayed quiet for hours and hours just on sucking that honey from the dummy. Talk to me about that, Doc. 
Yeah, that's a very good point. You see, with regards to honey, I agree totally. I mean, obviously, Allah's word is supreme, and there is no better word than that, and there is no better scientific evidence than what Allah has, has, has informed us. And in the Quran, it is mentioned that in something to the effect that in honey, there is shifa. So, with an absolute certainty, there is shifa in honey, and there is no doubt about that because that is the word of Allah. So, there is absolute truth in that. So there is definitely shifa in honey, and I often tell my patients to give their children honey. I, I get asked the question every single day, doctor, what's the best multivitamin to give my child? And I always tell them, there's no multivitamin that you should be giving your child to boost the immune system or to protect them from getting sick. I always tell them, give them honey every day, because that they shifa in it, and we know that for a fact because it's mentioned in the Quran. Now... The thing about honey in babies is slightly different. You see, babies, especially under one year, we tend to be a little cautious as, as doctors in advising babies from getting honey, uh, especially what you mentioned with regards to putting the honey on the dummy. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, you see, the dummy is a pacifier. It keeps babies quiet. Babies have very different emotional needs and physical needs compared to older children. For example, the one-and-a-half-year-old or the two-year-old tends to be very independent from their parents. They want to be on their own. They want to do their own things. Uh, you know, they want to show that they're quite capable of managing their own affairs. But if you look at the, the six-week-old baby or the eight-week-old baby, they want to be in their mother's arms or their father's arms all the time. They want that constant physical contact with their with their parents, and they they want to be pacified and comforted all the time. Now, it's very difficult to get that peace from the baby without giving them something to suck on. So I always recommend that, that, that you should give your baby a dummy because it makes the baby quiet and it gives the parents a lot of peace of mind. The problem is if we get the baby in the habit of sucking on the dummy with the honey on it, then the baby is, so that's like a type of a reward behavior. You know, you're teaching the baby. Every time you cry, I'm going to pacify you with something that's very sweet, very delicious. And, and, and then the baby will get used to that concept of, of that type of reward behavior. And then the baby will, get in, will, will only accept that type of reward every time the baby wants that form of attention. So the day you don't put honey on the dummy, then the baby is going to throw a tantrum because the baby is now not getting what he or she is accustomed to. So that's the first problem with putting honey. The second issue with putting honey, I'm talking in the under one year age group, is, you know, there is a, it's, it's an uncommon, but there is a rare connection between a, a type of food poisoning called botulism, which can be found in certain types of honey, and, um, uh, and, and giving it to infants under one year can cause serious illness in them. So, like I said, it's an extremely rare condition, this, this, this disease called botulism, but it's a type of a food poisoning which can be found in honey. And so just to protect our little ones and our infants, that's the second reason why pediatricians generally don't recommend the honey. The third reason, which I often tell my, my parents and, uh, and the patients that come to my rooms, is 
You know, sugar across all age groups is not a good thing. If you're an adult and a grown-up, it's not good because it affects your weight. It can cause diabetes or it can worsen your diabetes if you're already diabetic. Sugar is just not healthy at all. It weakens your immune system. It has a whole lot of negative effects on your body. In the younger kids, it has other consequences. It causes obesity in children. Sugar causes them to become hyperactive and superactive. They can't sit still. Then they're prone to getting hurt and falling off the 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 the, the burglar bar the burglar bars and jumping off the bed and getting hurt. So there's a whole lot of consequences of too much sugar. It causes dental caries in the children. Then they get rotten teeth and then that rotten teeth predisposes them to recurrent tonsillitis and all the other infections. So Bottom line, and I always tell my parents that, is just avoid sugar. So avoid them from from developing a love for sweet things. Obviously, we all like sweet things. It's human nature. There's two things we crave, sugar and salt, you know. But try not to get them into that habit of, of loving sugar and, and, and sweet things. So if we're going to get that little baby, especially the, the baby that's a few weeks old, into that habit of the honey, then there's, there's all these effects so the dummy is something that I do recommend. It's not harmful. It's got lots of benefits for the, for the baby and for the parents as well because they sometimes will get a good night's sleep if the baby sucks on the dummy. But generally the honey part of it, uh, we, we, we tend to avoid recommending in the under one year age group. I tell you, Dr. Ridwan uh, Umar, we're getting a lot of uh, messages coming on the screen. But what we'll do, we'll go for a break, and inshallah, after the break, we'll field these questions. Let's go do some shopping. You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Just gone 8.37 Central African time, and the program is our Medical Files in consultation with our pediatrician, Dr. Ridwan Umar. And I can tell you, having a wonderful conversation with him. Our questions are coming through, Dr. And uh, this one says, Assalamu alaikum. Already enjoying the program, uh, doctor. Please advise uh, small, uh, starving children uh, don't know exactly that they are hungry or need nutrition. So, how do they behave when they are in need of a meal, but there is no food? This is a really a probing, probing question. Now, doctor, your reaction? Yeah, that's that's a very interesting question. You see the. The bulk of the patients that we see with severe, we call it severe acute malnutrition, but they call it SAM. Um, that's how it's known around the world, SAM, severe acute malnutrition. Those children, we must remember, are totally dependent on their parents for all their needs. Um, that includes their, their security, their comfort, their food their warmth, so their clothing, their safety, to protect them from any type of harm. Now, these children over here will express hunger in only one simple way, and that is crying. A hungry child will cry. So they will often, and, and how we see these children presenting with malnutrition as a result is because they get the incorrect food. Now, we have to look at the underlying reason as to why these children don't get the right food. So. The commonest reason in our South African setup is these children are fed the wrong food. What they fed is mini meal or maize meal. So these parents, to fill these children up, they, they continuously feed them with maize meal. Maize meal is a carbohydrate. It doesn't um, allow the child to grow. And like we mentioned earlier on, children are growing people. They need food to grow. So the food that they actually need is protein. Of course, they do need a little bit of carbohydrate, they need a little bit of fat, 
They need all the other multivitamins that go with it. But what we often find in our in our country is these children are, are just fed maize meals for so breakfast, lunch, and supper. And every time they're hungry, that's all the parents keep stuffing them up with, and that causes severe acute malnutrition. In the old days, they used to call it kwashioko. Some people might be familiar with that with that term, kwashioko. So the child that's hungry will just be irritable and be kind. But to, to, to quieten the child, what the parents do, and that's what I'm talking in our local context, and from what I've seen in my experience and what we're still seeing up to this day, is they fill their tummies up with carbohydrate, basically with maize meal. So that will fill the tummy up and it will keep the child quiet. But when that happens for a period of time, then that results in malnutrition, in severe malnutrition that these children actually land up in hospital very sick. Uh, looking at this message, uh, anonymous sister says, "Assalamu alaikum, brother Shafat and uh, Dr. Ridwan Umar. I'm really enjoying the program. Uh, you are really bringing it alive, and everyone is gripped at home." She says, "I saw a video of a two-year-old, a starving child, sucking hungrily on a face cloth. What effect would that have on the stomach and the mind?" Yeah, I think I was talking about it earlier on in my introduction also, Doctor. I mean, sucking on that uh, face cloth and, uh, you know, giving uh, the, the, the mind or the stomach a, a false notion. What happens then, uh, Doctor? So that's just a lot to the listener for, for the compliments. I hope that we all benefit from it and Allah Ta'ala must accept from us whatever, whatever good we are doing. Uh, you see that picture that I haven't seen it, Brother Shafat, you did mention it, and obviously it must have gone around because now more than one person is mentioning to me. But obviously that child was starving at that particular time, so that child hadn't eaten for a while. So that child was basically just chewing on, on whatever was available there to try and satisfy that hunger. Um, and that would make the child irritable, unhappy, would make the child cry. Uh, until something goes into the stomach to fill the child up. And in that case, whatever you give the child to eat, the child will eat. So, you know, it's, it's simply, uh, the child will just simply present with irritability, with crying, and uh, sometimes they would present with temper tantrums if they're very hungry. So they get angry and they bring up that temper, and the temper tantrum goes on and... Uh, Doctor, you know, when you have a chance to bring up temper tantrum, how do you know some parents, you know, some of them got a lot of sabr, don't, some don't have sabr, and then you look at the media, you know, uh, if the parents are, uh, you know, addicts or something like that, or substance abuse, uh, abusers, uh, they abuse the kid. What should, uh, you know, generally, when your child is throwing up a tantrum, give us some tips, give, uh, you know, budding uh, parents, a tip. I mean, uh, you and I, we've been through the mill, and alhamdulillah, our kids are happy with us. We didn't throw, uh, even when they threw up a tantrum, we knew how to cool them, took them and played outdoors and did this and that with them. But give us, a, give a, you know, young parents today, because their stress levels uh, are very high also, doctor. That's true. We all live very stressful lives. We all live very busy lives. We all live lives that have very high demands and high expectations. Um, as parents, we have high expectations of our children. And as children, they have high expectations of what the parents can provide for them. And, you know, life is not fair, and we can't always meet those expectations, whether it's the child's expectations of the parents 
or the parents' expectations of the children. And that will result in mood disorders on both sides. The parents can suffer mood anxiety, mood and anxiety disorders from that, and the children as well. One manifestation of that can be temper tantrums in children, which is very common. And, you know, I always advise the parents that if your child is having a temper tantrum, the best thing, the most effective way of handling it, managing it, and making sure that it eventually comes to an end is to totally ignore the child. You have to just walk away. It's hard, it's tough, it's a challenge for the parents, but it's the only effective method to bring those temper tantrums to an end because that temper tantrum is actually an attention-seeking mechanism that the child uses to get their parents' attention. And, you know, the natural instinct and the natural reaction of a parent when their child throws a tantrum is to react to them, is to respond to it. So it's, it then becomes a learned behavior pattern from the child that when I want my parents' undivided attention, I must throw up a tantrum. And it, it's distressing for the child, it's distressing for the parents, and it's, it's exhausting. And some of the children can throw up these tantrums many times a day. So it, it really becomes difficult, you know, and it's a big challenge for the parents. I always tell the parents, the first few days will be hard for you. It will be very hard on you. But the most effective way is to just keep quiet and walk away. You have to pay absolutely no attention to the child. That's the only effective way. Look, there are certain types of medication you can use to try and reduce the severity of the symptoms or the severity of the tantrum, but that's not really treating the cause of the problem and getting rid of the problem. And then, you know, we're starting with medication, and the type of medication we use or can use are antipsychotic medications in children, which are safe, they're well-tolerated, and they are effective, but it's not a long-term solution. So the best thing, and this is for the benefit of all the parents out there who have children that experience temper tantrums, is to just quietly walk away. Initially, the child will carry on performing, whether it's 15 minutes or half an hour or one hour, whatever it is. Eventually, they will get exhausted. They'll get tired and they'll keep quiet. And they'll try it again. They'll try it a few times. Eventually, they learn that this brings them absolutely no uh, joy, it gets them no reaction from the parents, they get no response from the parents, and it will stop. And I've had lots of cases where the parents actually uh, did that, and, and, and the feedback was, it worked, it sorted the problem out. Alhamdulillah, looking at this message, the brother from North Natal says, Assalamu alaikum, Brother Shafat and Dr. Ridwan Umar, you guys have a great rapport and make for easy listening. Jazakallah for that. He says, Doctor, so many children are living on food that has zero nourishment. How do they survive? Another good question. Alhamdulillah, I'm glad that the listener is enjoying the program and uh, Brother Shafat is definitely the light and the spark of these programs. So we give you credit. <laughs> no, you're humble, eh? You, you're, you're, a, you're a shining star too. Allahu Akbar. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, wa shukrulillah. So, you know, these children that, that, are, that are deprived of correct nutrition will eventually show signs of disease, to put it simply. You know, whether it's, 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 it's manifested through mental disorders. So, like I mentioned earlier, and I mentioned again, the main activity of children is to play. If the child is chronically deprived of the right food and correct nutrition, 
they will not play. They will become unhappy. They will become uh, listless. They will have malaise. They'll be tired. They won't do what we would expect a normal two-year-old or three-year-old to do, which is basically jumping all over the show. You know, uh, that, that would be the effect, the mental effect of, of malnutrition or not giving the child correct nutrition. And then if it goes on for a longer period of time, it depends what organ is affected or it depends which micronutrient or which vitamin the child is lacking the most. And the commonest one that we see in children, like I mentioned, is iron deficiency, which is a very, very common uh, micronutrient deficiency that we see in children. It just makes them very slow. It slows down all the activities. Because we must remember, iron is needed even for thyroid function, for thyroid hormone production. And the thyroid gland is a very important little gland that's situated in our neck that produces thyroid hormones. And those, those hormones are, are required by almost every organ of the body for functioning. So a child that's malnourished, that it, you know, this is just one organ that gets affected, and that would in turn affect all the organs of the body. So we can actually, you know, if we really want to go in depth, we can look at the effects of chronic malnutrition on each organ and each system. You can take the gut, for example. If a child is chronically malnourished over a period of time, they can suffer from malabsorption syndromes, where they're unable to absorb food after a while. So then they become deficient in a whole lot of vitamins, vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin B, vitamin C. And you take a simple example in a child with vitamin D deficiency, there's a condition called rickets that children get. So in simple words, those bones become weak, those bones become brittle, those bones become bent. You know, so they get all these type of bone deformities with, with vitamin D deficiency rickets and it affects their teeth. It, so it, it causes a lot of what we call musculoskeletal problems. So it depends on which organ and it depends on which micronutrient they're lacking the most. And in, in a lot of children with chronic malnutrition, chronic means it's going on for a long time, they would have multiple deficiencies. We can take the example of vitamin A for that matter. Vitamin A is is the eye vitamin, to put it simply. It's very, very important for the eye, for the, for the, for the health of the eye. So people that, that lack vitamin A would suffer from a condition called night blindness. It also affects the, the lining of the eye, which we call the epithelium. So you get ulceration of the eyes, which is a very painful condition. That can eventually lead to blindness. So simple things you know, from chronic malnutrition, from not getting the right food, can lead to blindness. And it, it's actually happening in this world today as we speak. And, you know, some of the effects or the reasons why children get malnutrition, firstly, is because of poverty. People just cannot afford food. Secondly, it's because the mother's health is not good. And if the mother's health is not good, it's almost, almost invariable that the child is not going to have good health because... An unhealthy mother will give birth to an unhealthy baby, and an unhealthy mother will not be able to to feed a healthy baby. Um, then you look at, I mean, in some countries there's war going on, there's conflict going on. Those, those problems create uh, food deprivation. It creates food shortages. Then you get the lack of education where parents don't know how to feed their children. You know, so there's, there's so many reasons why children are exposed to malnutrition, and, and it, it's actually very sad. And that's why so many countries in the world have 
uh, including in South Africa, they have these um, ch- ch- child feeding programs at schools to feed children. And not only in South Africa or in developing countries, but even a country like the United Kingdom, malnutrition is a big problem and starvation is a big problem. And this is surprising. I, I, I learned about it not very long ago. But even a country as rich as the United Kingdom has feeding programs for children going to school because those children don't have enough food at home. So it's actually, it's actually a global problem that affects rich and poor countries. You know, absolutely. Uh, looking at this message from uh, Sister in Ermelo says, Assalamu alaikum, uh, Brother Shafaat, Dr. Ridwan Umar, and uh, Marcus Sahaba is an important radio station for my family members. All of them enjoy uh, Marcus Sahaba. We thank Mufti A.K. Hussein uh, for making such a powerful radio station. I want to know from a uh, doctor, why do starving children have sores on their faces? Uh, question there for you, doctor. Why do starving children have sores on the faces? Okay, alhamdulillah. I'm glad that the listener is enjoying Marqa Sahaba and may Allah Ta'ala bless Mufti A.K. Hussain and all the people that contribute to the success of this program. And uh, through it, you know, so many people benefit uh, from dini knowledge, from scientific knowledge. Uh, and may Allah Ta'ala accept it from everyone. So, you know, like I've been mentioning, malnutrition affects different organs of the body and like I said we can look at the effects of malnutrition on each organ and what would be the effects of that. The skin is one of the organs of the body. In fact, it's the biggest organ in the body. If you look at the surface area of the skin, by far it's the biggest organ of the body. The skin is an organ that requires constant nutrition because the skin is shedding all the time and the skin needs nutrition to replace whatever skin is shedded off. So if the body is not provided with correct nutrition, you're going to get skin diseases because that skin is not going to get the right nutrients to maintain its health, to maintain its integrity. So you get all types of skin conditions, and it's actually very interesting if you study the effects of malnutrition on children and how it affects their skin. So it causes, I'll just give you one or two simple examples, it causes desquamation of the skin, where you actually see the skin of children peeling off. And that's because of protein malnutrition. So the skin needs protein to replenish itself. Like I said, our skin is shedding all the time. There's tiny scales. We can't see it. But if you have to take a microscope and look at our bed, if you have to take a microscope and look at our carpet, you'd find millions and millions of, 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 of human skin, you know, the scales of, of, of human skin that's shed all the time. Now, that skin needs to be replaced all the time, and it requires protein and it requires other micronutrients. So people who don't have enough of that, the skin continues shedding, but there's not enough nutrients to replace and replenish that, that healthy skin. And the skin has a few layers, and all those layers require nutrients. So those people that have chronic malnutrition will present with various types of skin lesions. Most often you see what we call desquamation or peeling of the skin in various areas of the body and rashes as well. Then the skin gets prone to infection, so you see sores all over the skin. Then you get, uh, you know, you get secondary infections of the skin as well. So 
there's, there's a whole lot of problems associated with malnutrition and the skin itself. And then when the skin is, the skin, the, one of the functions of the skin is to protect our body from disease because it forms as a barrier between the environment and our body. Now, if that skin is diseased and the skin is unhealthy, then it serves as a portal of entry for bacteria, viruses, fungi to enter our body. So that further compounds the whole problem. So the skin is a very, very important organ that also needs nutrition to maintain the health of the body. This message says, uh, Assalamu alaikum, uh, Shafat Ahmad Khan and uh, Dr. Ridwan Umar. I am an educator from Northern Natal, and I want to know from a doctor, what is a child going through when there is no food to eat and the parents are living with high stress levels? Doctor? Yeah, that's a good question. So, obviously, if the parents are living with high stress levels and the children have no food to eat, it basically means that there's poverty in that house. And poverty has its own uh, basket of problems. It has its own complications. It has lots and lots of problems that would affect the parents directly and indirectly, and then it would affect the children. You know, if the father is not working, if the mother is not working, then there's obviously no money, there's no income in the house, and then there's no food in the house, so they don't have any food, firstly, to feed themselves, they don't have food to feed their children, they don't have money to pay their bills, they don't have money to educate their children, they basically don't have money to do anything. And that's going to affect the entire family. It's going to cause a lot of tension in the house. It's going to cause a lot of friction in the house. In simple words, it's going to cause a lot of unhappiness in the house. And, you know, that would cause mental problems. It, would, it can result in, 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 in situations where you can get divorced, which further compounds the problem because now you get split families and you get disunited families and then you get children who are brought up in, 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 in unhealthy environments. They are exposed to other elements because of this type of family situation. So the, the, the whole social structure becomes disintegrated when the parents are stressed for whatever reasons. One is unemployment. Two, it can be substance abuse. Parents can be you know, abusing certain types of substances that are resulting in, in their stresses. So there's various reasons why these parents will be stressed out. And if they are unable to look after themselves, then they're obviously going to fail in their duties in looking after their children. So it has a ripple effect, and, and it affects the whole society. And then it affects the whole society uh, uh, eventually. You know, we also get affected by it. Absolutely. I will make this the last question here, Lucolo, because uh, we, uh, yeah, we only have about two minutes to go. Uh, anonymous Alim says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm really enjoying the program. And uh, bless you, Shafat Ahmad Khan, for bringing in such a wonderful guest like uh, Dr. Ridwan Umar. Yes, I'm really enjoying him. Uh, he says, children in war zones, the doctor, are eating grass. How does that help them? And what impact does that, does that have on the digestive system? Good question, Doc. Allah Akbar. That is a very, very sad question, actually. For a child to be eating grass is, is really sad. And, you know, that's, that's something that, that, should, that should make, you know, if we can't tear, then at least we, could, we should feel it in our heart. Because that mm. is, I mean, that is what an animal is supposed to be doing. And if we as a society Gee. have... 
a level where our children, whichever part of the world they are in, are resorting to eating grass, then that is an extremely sad state of affairs. I think the first thing we need to do is make dua to alleviate, uh, to, to Almighty Allah, to, to help us alleviate such such a, a situation, such a, a humiliating situation and such a desperate situation that the child is reduced to the level of an animal, you know, that, that because the grass is not meant for human consumption. That grass is meant for animals. There's no nutrition that the child is going to get from grass, absolutely mm. not. In fact, that child can get disease from the grass, to be honest with you. And remember, that grass is coming from the soil. That child is sitting and eating from the soil. That soil is infested with diseases. There's worms, number one. That's the commonest uh, problem with soil. And, and children is worm infestation. And worm infestation, and if I remember correctly, you know, I did a radio program once where we just discussed the effects of worm infestation on children. But, you know, we can have a whole discussion on that. So, Firstly, the child eating grass has, has, has emotional aspects to it, it has social aspects to it, and the spiritual aspect is we should at least feel it for that child. I think that's the first part of it. The second part of it is there is absolutely no nutrition from eating grass. That child is not going to get any nutrition and any micronutrients from it. Uh, so the child is going to be prone to all the consequences and complications of malnutrition. And thirdly, it's the risk of disease that the child is going to get from eating grass. I mean, we don't know what animal might have defecated on that soil. You know, we don't know what germs that you can get tetanus from that soil. You can get worms from that soil. There's so many types of diseases you can get from that soil over there, which the child is then going to be exposed to. And the fact that the child is eating from the soil tells you that this child is already malnourished, is already immune deficient. So whatever disease they're going to get exposed to, they're going to get a serious form of it. So it's, it's, it's really... It's really a sad state of affairs that we are living in a world today where on the one end we have extreme opulence and on the other end we are hearing about children eating grass. I think we have a lot of work to do as Muslims to try and correct this, this problem. Allah Ta'ala must help us, guide us and protect us. Ameen. Ameen to Ameen. And yes, a man is sinning against his own intelligence by allowing this to happen. Uh, but, Doctor, you're absolutely brilliant. Always a treat to have you on uh, the platforms of Malka Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl Sunnah or Jama'a, especially on medical files. Uh, you are like a breath of fresh air. We like talking with you for another hour, but the show has to go on. You know, the other segments coming through. Your parting words uh, this evening. Jazakallah uh, khair to you, Brother Shafa. Jazakallah khair to the listeners. I really enjoyed all the questions. It's, it's nice to have this interaction, you know. It brings us together as a people and it gives us a better connection. And at the end of the day, we are all brothers and sisters in Islam. We are, we are all out there to help each other, to educate each other, and to enlighten each other. And this is a great platform to do that and to connect as Muslims. And Brother Shafa, Jazakallah khair to you. You always come up with very interesting topics. I I always enjoy chatting to you. I enjoy chatting to your listeners. And I think the most important thing is we must make dua to Allah Ta'ala for help in everything. And we must thank Him for the blessings He has bestowed upon us. And we must ask Him to protect us from all these types of diseases like malnutrition, mental disorders, and all the other problems that, that face humanity at large. Amin. 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 Have a blessed evening ahead, uh, Doctor. We will talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
As uh, yes, uh, Doctor said, uh, those listeners that sent in uh, the questions, a big jazakallah khair to you, 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 and you. Time for us to go for the Isha Azan, and after that, uh, we will continue with the uh, pertinence uh, punctuated. Let's go for the Azan.